you want to go ahead and kind of turn to Luke chapter 2, that's where we're going to be tonight, Luke chapter 2. This is going to be the last message in the Fight for the Family sermon series that we're in. We've been asking the Lord to open our eyes to the fight for the family. The enemy is after the family. Can I get an amen? He is. Satan wants to divide our marriages. He wants to destroy our children. Okay, so we've taken several weeks here, Melissa and I, talking to the men and the women. I've been talking to men, to men as, just as men, to men as husbands, to men as fathers. Melissa's been sharing to the women as ladies, as wives, as mothers. And if, you, if you've missed any of those sermons, I really encourage you to go back and listen because I think you'll be encouraged. I think you'll be challenged but I think you'll be encouraged and empowered. Um, what I want to share with you this weekend is about parenting. Okay, we're going to talk about parenting. Now, you may be here and you don't have any kids. You haven't had kids yet. You're not even married. That's okay. Take notes. You may be here and all of your kids are out of the house. You are an empty nester. And so it still applies because they're still your children. And you'll see what I mean when I say that. But a lot of people at SOMA have kids in the home, um, everything from newborns to teenagers. And so this is one of the areas that we really want to encourage our church family in, the area of parenting. I'm going to go ahead and give you this, uh, the title of this message. Okay, so write this down. The title of this message is, Get That Kid Down. Write that down. That's my title. Get that kid down. And you know I like to give one sentence to sum up this whole sermon, and that's this. Jesus was the only child ever worthy of worship. Write those things down. I know parenting is a bit of a taboo topic <laughs> because it pricks our pride when people question our parenting. Right? I mean, we love it when, when people praise our kids because we know, at least to a degree, we can take credit for that praise, right? But when it's time for someone to criticize our, our kid or um, correct our kid or hold them accountable, you know, for bad behavior or whatever, we don't like that as much. Because we know, for the most part, we have to take credit for whatever it was they're being called out for. Isn't that true? Yeah, so we don't like talking about parenting. We want to hear sermons about parenting. We don't want to take a class on parenting, but it's important that we do. You've probably heard me throw uh, tidbits about parenting in, into my sermons from time to time. The sermon may not even be about family or parenting or anything like that, but I'll bring in some sort of story or some sort of object lesson, some sort of encouragement or challenge to parents about how to relate to your kid. Or how to um, disciple your children or how to discipline your children. Because like we said earlier, it takes a village to raise a child, doesn't it? I believe that. And I know that to be true. And our village, for the most part, is our biblical community, our church family. And so as a pastor, I want to share my own personal experiences and share out of uh, our 20-some-odd years of experience work, working with hundreds of families. I mean, like hundreds of families, moms, dads, kids over the years. 
And because I want our family to be at a place where they are continually dedicating their kids. Continually. You guys knew, know, you do know that child dedication is not like a one-time event. Right? Oh, remember that Sunday we did that? It's not a one-time event. Child dedication is the business that every parent should be about really for the rest of their life. Do you agree? Yes. In this case, we're talking about the task of committing our kids to the Lord. The, the, the definition of dedication is this, the quality of being dedicated or committed to a task or a purpose, like we're committed to it. Again, in this case, we're talking about dedicating our kids to the, to the hands of the Lord. We're asking him to bless them and to keep them and to make his face shine upon them. That's a prayer that I've been playing, uh, praying over my kids since they were born. It's called the Aaronic Blessing. In Numbers chapter 6, it says that the Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them. So Aaron would extend his hands over the people, and he would pronounce this blessing over them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And then it says, so they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. That word invoke means to appoint, to apply, to assign. God said, if you will appoint my name, if you will apply my name, if you will assign my name on your kids, I will bless them. Isn't that good? One of my favorite memories as a dad, when our kids were little, all of them, and, and Emma Kate's 10, so I still do this. In some ways, I still do it with my, my teenagers and adult. But when they were all kids, we had a nighttime routine, and I was usually the one that would put them to bed. And so I would sing them songs. I would tell them stories. I always told Tony and Blackie stories. T Blackie was my dog growing up, and so we had all kinds of crazy adventures out in the wood, okay? So I would tell Tony and Blackie stories, and I'd rub their back and sing them songs and, and put them to sleep. When Emma Kate came along, of course, I did the same thing with her. But with the Tony and Blackie stories, she was not satisfied that there was not a female in the story. She's like, well, where are the girls? And so she asked about my sister, Robin. What about Robin? I was like, well, I suppose she was there. And so, but she, I mean, she was. And so I had to incorporate Robin into my stories, Tony and Blackie. And Robin. So every time now, I would always start the story out with, now, one day, Tony and Blackie with my boys. But with Emma Kate, if I said, Tony, one day, Tony and Blackie, she'd go, and Robin. <laughs> I'd be like, and Robin. Anyway, we're in the middle of a story one night, Tony and Blackie and Robin's story. And she, she pats me. She goes, Daddy, Daddy. I was like, yes. She goes, what's a ponder? I was like, a what? A ponder. What's, what's a ponder? I thought for a minute. I was like, baby, I don't know. I've never heard of that. I don't, I don't know what a ponder is. She just kind of shrugged and I finished the story. And 
sang her a song, rubbed her back, prayed over her, the same thing I pray almost every night. Lord, I pray that tonight you would help my daughter get good sleep, that you would watch over her and, and help her to have good dreams, protect her heart and mind. And Lord, I pray that you would bless her and that you would keep her and you would make your face to shine upon her. And it hit me and I started laughing out loud. She wanted to know what a ponder was. One of my favorite memories, now think about this. For her, I'm in the middle of a Tony Blackie Robbins story, but she's thinking ahead. This is an encounter with the Lord moment for her. This, is her. this is her quiet time with the Lord. And I'm in the middle of the story, but she's thinking what's coming. She's thinking about what daddy's about to pray over her, and she wants to know all the details. I need to know what a ponder is. <laughs> Daddy, what's a ponder? <laughs> oh, <laughs> isn't that great? Those moments are, are so important. And I think, you know, for us, this is how we want to parent as followers of Christ. This is how we want to lead our kids. We want to dedicate our, our kids to the Lord. We want to assign God's name to our kids because we know what? That he's going to bless them, right? But listen, we have to be careful that we don't slip out of the rhythm of continual dedication into a place of consequential deification of our kids. Well, Pastor Tony, what do you mean by deification? Well, let's define the word. Deification means to worship, to regard, or to treat something or someone as a god or goddess. The root word of deification comes from the word deity, like a god or goddess. In polytheistic religions, you know, they have many gods. Sometimes they worship people. You think about Greek mythology, right? They worship Zeus and Athena or whoever. Sometimes idols are worshipped. It could be this thing, this carved image or this carved animal or whatever. A hard truth for us to swallow, and I'm going to say it though, is that a lot of parents deify their kids. They idolize their children. Even the secular world's talking about this. Even the secular world is writing articles and how-tos, how to go backwards, how to not idolize your kids. Even the secular world is talking about this. Let me define idolatry for a second. Idolatry is the extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or Someone. Now, obviously, we need to love our kids, right? Like, it's okay to admire our kids and even revere them or, or respect them. But we're talking about the extreme and inappropriate love and respect of a child that it places them too high up. You guys hear what I'm saying? Like in an untouchable pedestal. We've just put them way high up to where they're untouchable. What does that look like? Well, if I went around the room, we could probably all make a pretty good list of what it looks like when our kids think they're too big for the riches, too high up, right? But in short, I mean, it's when we put our kids' emotions and their desires and their actions, what they do above what is right and appropriate on a consistent basis. All of us, you know, 
um, fall short of, of being perfect at anything. But when we're continually and consistently putting our kids' emotions and desires and uh, actions above what is right and what is appropriate, we are deifying our kids. And it's, it's hard not to because clearly they think they are little deities, <laughs> right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I can prove it. There are four common attributes of a deity. Okay, all of these apply to our God, but theologians say that most cultures apply this to their little g gods. Okay, four common attributes of a deity. One, omniscience. That means infinite knowledge. True or false, our kids believe they know everything. I need a, I need a participation this morning. True or false? Now listen, if you were a kid here, you'd be like, that's not me. That's not me. It's like, okay, God bless you. You can have that conversation with your parents. Omnipotence. Omnipotence means unlimited power. True or false, our children believe they are in charge. It's true. Omnipresent. That means present everywhere. Our children believe they don't need boundaries. And the fourth one is omnibenevolent, which means perfect goodness. True or false, our children believe they are always right. Yeah. Now listen to me. If your kid is too high up on any of these pedestals, you need to get that kid down. Jesus is the only child ever worthy of worship. Amen. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. I want to show you some things here. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21, probably already there. In verse 21, it says, and when eight days had passed, okay, let's pause in eight days after what? Now think about this, eight days after what? Eight days out, uh, after a heck of a whole lot. Remember all the things, we know the Christmas story. We know that uh, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, God likes you a lot. He's chosen you. You're going to be the, the mother of the son of God, right? And the Holy Spirit overshadows her. She is, she is impregnated by the Holy Spirit and she's never been with a man, but now she's got a baby, right? We know the story. We know that she's pregnant. Somewhere along the way, she goes and sees her aunt Elizabeth, who is also pregnant with John the Baptist, if you'll remember. And as soon as Elizabeth sees Mary... It says that the, the baby in her womb, John the Baptist, starts doing cartwheels. Like, woo-hoo-hoo! In early worship, you know what I mean? And then begins prophesying over Mary. And Mary's like, God, this lady knows that I'm carrying a baby, and it's the Son of God. Think about the miraculous trip that her and Joseph took. Remember, um, they were calling for a census, and Joseph was from Bethlehem. And so they had to... Ch uh, they had to travel from Galilee, from their hometown, Nazareth, all the way to Judah. That's a two-week journey. And they did it by walking or riding on a donkey. She's pregnant. What do you think she did? She rode on a donkey to make it two weeks all the way there, pregnant on a donkey. Ladies, you know that's a miracle, right? Big stuff happening, right? And then, of course, we know the story. Jesus is born. The shepherds are out in the field getting a free concert from angels on high, right? The wise men come bringing gifts. So the shepherds, the wise men, probably even the animals worshiping this child that she had just eight days after all that. You guys picking up what I'm laying down? Could you imagine how hard it would have been for them to, to stay focused 
This is, this is overwhelming. This is a lot. But I'm telling you, Joseph and Mary, Jesus' parents were focused before he was born. But they were also focused after Jesus was born. Let's look at this. Verse 21. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus. Okay. Baby name meaning. Jesus means God's salvation. You can prophesy on that one all day long, right? It's awesome. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord or to dedicate him to the Lord. Okay, so Jesus participated in something very similar that we did this morning. It says, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons is what they were to offer. Now, actually, if you read about it, they were supposed to offer a lamb. Okay, but there was a clause in Numbers chapter 12 that says if you can't afford a lamb, that you can offer one of these two birds, two of, of one of these types of birds. Okay, what does that mean? Why is that even important? Because that means that Joseph and Mary were just like us. Poe. They're normal people. They're no you would think that the Son of God would be born into some rich and prestigious family that could offer up 10 lambs if they wanted to. Nope. It's little old Joe, old Mary from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? It goes on and it says that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. For the sake of time, I'll just tell you the story. Simeon was old in age and he was always around the temple. He loved God. God had spoken to him. And said, you're not going to die until you see the promised Messiah. So his whole life, he knew. He knew. He was a man of God. He knew that he wasn't going to die until he saw Messiah. Joseph and Mary walk in with this baby and the Lord showed him. That's him. Simeon comes up and says, can I hold your baby? And they're like, that's kind of weird. But he grabs the baby and he begins blessing him and prophesying over him. And in verse 33, it says that his father and mother, Mary and Joseph, were amazed at the things which were being said. He says to Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel for a sign, a sign to be, uh, for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul. And he goes on and he blesses. Her. And then if that wasn't enough, they keep going. And there's this lady, Anna, she was a prophetess. She was the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And it says that she was advanced in years. She was a widow and she was always hanging out at the temple, praying and fasting. This was a woman of God. She sees Jesus and she begins prophesying and blessing them as well. And you got to see this guys. Listen, after all this angel Gabriel you got the wise men, you got the shepherds, you got the angels we have heard on high, you know, all this stuff. Simeon, you got the prophetess Anna. All this attention, all this praise, all of this affirmation that their child was the son of God. It could have been pretty easy for Joseph and Mary to focus on the deity of Jesus. But look what it says. 
Verse 39. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. Joseph and Mary didn't announce to the world that their son was the Messiah. I mean, Joseph was a carpenter. He could have built some spectacular jog stroller. Can't you just see Mary jogging around Jerusalem? Hey, got the son of God right here. He could have built a float, you know, pulling it on a donkey like a parade. Son of God right here. They didn't do any of that. They just went home, lived their life. They pondered those things in their heart like Mary was said to do. I pondered these things. They chose the dedication of their child over the deification of their child. And what was the result? Listen, verse 40. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. I suppose if Jesus had been a female, the grace of God would have been upon her. Now listen, this is about all we know about how Joseph and Mary parented Jesus. I mean, we don't get a whole lot more than that other than what we know that the scriptures teach about raising kids. And there's a lot there. And we know that they were faithful to the scriptures. They were faithful to the law of God. Because the next thing it says is now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And then it says when Jesus was 12... They went up there again, according to the custom of the feast. Every Jewish male was required to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem from wherever they live three times a year at the feast of, uh, feast of Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? So Joseph was just doing what he does. He was being faithful to go to make his pilgrimage feast. And it sounds like he brought his family with him. I love that because Joseph didn't just go. He taught Jesus how to go. Isn't that good? One of the things I want to point out really quick is that the very next scene proves to us that Joseph and Mary didn't deify their son. I'll just kind of paraphrase the story for the sake of time. We know the story. Jesus was 12. They went to worship Passover. And when it was all done, they headed home with a great caravan of people. And they're on their way home. They just walking and talking. And at some point, Pretty good while after, they're like, oh, wait, where's Jesus? And they're looking for him, looking, have you seen Jesus? you seen Jesus? And nobody's seen Jesus. And so they head back to Jerusalem. Maybe they left him there. And they found him in the temple talking with all the, uh, the wise men and the elders and asking questions and making comments. And every, it says everybody was amazed at his understanding of the word. Mary walks in and goes, Jesus! Get into the car right now. No, they, they, she really did say, she was like, why? She said, why have you done this? Why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. We've been worried to death. And Jesus is like, why are you worried? Didn't you know I would be in my father's house about my father's business? And it says Mary and Joseph had no clue what he was talking about. But what I love is that it says, they clearly said, we got to go. Get your tail in the car. But it says, that he went down with them. He went back to Nazareth with them. And it says that he continued in subjection to them. He continued in submission to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Don't you love that Joseph and Mary didn't ignore 
what Jesus did, but they addressed it head on. Don't you love that? Yes. I'm sure it was tough, but Joseph and Mary chose to dedicate. They chose the dedication of the child over the deification of their child. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you four ways to help your kids stay dedicated. Okay. Really encourage you to write these down. Melissa and I have been married for 26 years, 26 years. We have four kids, 10 year old, all the way up to 21 years old, three boys and a daughter. And we can tell you, and if you're a parent of multiples, you know, every kid is different. True. Different genders, different personalities, different passions, different gifts, different skill sets, right? These four things are going to apply to your kid no matter what their gender, no, what, no matter what their personality, okay? Let's look back at the attributes of a deity. The first one, omniscience. Remember, infinite knowledge. Our children believe they know everything. Therefore, number one, train your child to say, yes, sir. Write that down. Train your child to say, yes, sir. Children need to understand that they are not the authority. Saying yes, sir, to a parent or yes, ma'am, or no, sir, no, ma'am. Saying yes, sir, to a parent is the equivalent of saying yes, sir, to God. If our kids don't learn to say yes, sir, and submit to what we are saying, they will grow up with a lofty, prideful estimation of their own wisdom and knowledge and authority. You want me to say that again? If our kids don't learn to say yes, sir, and submit to what we're saying, they will grow up with a lofty, prideful estimation of their own wisdom and knowledge and authority. Now, obviously, as they move into their teenage years, we start letting the reins out a little bit, hoping that they've learned a lot about how God's ways are the best ways and, and that he's the ultimate authority and that they're going to make good decisions based upon the word of God, the knowledge and understanding of him and all that stuff. But listen, even in those teenage years, we have to remain parents who are committed to the dedication of our children. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, young men, he starts out with young men. Young men, in the same way, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's like Peter knows that we just constantly need reminders about who's in charge. Not just as teenagers. He's talking to young men, but he, he, he could probably say, hey, old men, you too. All of us, no matter what age, James in chapter 4 says, this is what it says. By the way, this is James. This is the brother of Jesus. James, the book of James. I don't know if you knew that. That's the brother of Jesus. Can you imagine growing up in that home? James, you know, it says James didn't come to know the Lord or, or believe in Jesus until a little while later. Maybe he was a little bit of a, you know, ring-tailed tutor. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine James? He's like slapping Jesus in the face. Jesus is like, oh. Turn on the cheek. Oh. Other one. You know, James hated that. I hate when you do that. It drives me crazy. And Jesus just floats back. 
<laughs> James says, this is what it says. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Okay, listen, we know that our kids are going to need to resist the devil. We know that. We've been talking about it in this series, The Fight for the Family. So we know that. It's like they go to school, and we, we give them their lunchbox, and we remind them, resist the devil. Don't forget to resist the devil today. We know that they need, they need to resist the devil every time they leave the house, right? What a shame it would be to not have taught our kids how to submit to God in humility. Think about it. You can resist all day long. But unless you're able to say, yes, sir, to the Lord, you're going to find yourself in the belly of a whale, just like Jonah. Remember, Jonah failed to say, yes, sir, to the Lord. We don't want to see our kids in the belly of a whale, do we? We want to see them walking in the grace of the Lord, not opposed because of their pride, but walking in the grace of the Lord. So we have to teach them how to say, yes, sir. I remember teaching our kids how to say, yes, sir. It started before they could even talk. Take a little bite, buddy. Yes, sir. Take a bite. Yes, sir. And they just look at me. Right? But then they start mumbling. Say, yes, sir. And then it was gradually more. And one day it was, yes, sir. You know, the thir. T-H-I-R. Yeah, thir. And now it's like, hey, you need to clean your room. Yes, sir. Even at an early age, one of my favorite things is to hear one of my children say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, no, ma'am, no, sir, to an adult. There's not much more of prideful moments that you can have as a parent when you've worked so hard to teach them who their authority is. Now, listen to me. If your child at whatever age has a lofty estimation of their own wisdom and knowledge and authority, you need to get that kid down. You with me? Have them memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is one of the first scriptures that my wife and I had our kids memorize. In fact, we can be anywhere in public. I could be like, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And in unison, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And you're not, they'll start quoting it. They, they did it last night. I said, Proverbs 3. Five and six in unison. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We did all of our scripture memory to rhythms. They're all musicians. It worked. That's a good one to memorize, saints. Let's go to the second one. Omnipotence, unlimited power. Our children believe they are in charge. Large and in charge. Large and in charge. One of my favorite memories as a dad is that sound coming down the hall. That diaper swishing. In their toddler years. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know, they want something. They're after something or they just did something. Large and in charge. It's one of my favorite memories. I miss that. But I don't miss how hard it was to teach them that they weren't in charge. How hard it was to teach our kids to obey. So the second thing I want to encourage you to do is train your child to obey right away. To obey right away. In other words, train them to obey the first time. Parents, can I get up on a soapbox real quick? Listen, counting doesn't work. Counting doesn't work. You know how I know? Because I've never seen it work. It never works. 
Well, but my kid always, they always respond right there on three. I'm like, oh, awesome. But you just taught them how to delay their obedience. You just taught them that their obedience can be delayed. Listen, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Johnny, put that chainsaw down, buddy. Put it down. Be a buddy. Put it down. Don't make me count. I'm telling you, I will count. One, and you're already 10 seconds in before you even start counting, so you might as well start at 10, right? One, two, right about two, you know, Johnny cut somebody's leg off with a chainsaw. It's like, oh, I wish I hadn't accounted. We laugh, but think about it. You never, listen to me, this is serious. You never know when that three-second delayed obedience could be the difference between life or death. When my middle son, Rowan, who was, talk about a ring-tailed tutor. He, I mean, I'm sorry, Cannon. Brutal. It was tough to get that kid to obey. My oldest son, he just did everything he ever wanted to do, you know. You tell him, he'd be like, oh, yeah, there, you know. Cannon came along, never obeyed. I thought, oh, no. <laughs> we need to get him tested or something. <laughs> it was tough. I'm telling you. One time, Melissa had a dream because we had Cannon. 20 minutes later, we had Rowan, 20 minutes apart, so we were exhausted. You guys know what I'm talking about? Really close, one's in diapers, and you still have another. Now you got two in diapers, and you're just, you know, constantly twitching, you know. <laughs> and during that season, we had relaxed on some of our parenting uh, skills. And one night, Melissa had a dream, and in this dream, we lived about 60, 70 yards from the road, our house, and Cannon takes off towards the road running as a toddler and she sees him going through the road and she says cannon stop but he wouldn't stop and she starts yelling stop but he wouldn't stop and so she takes running after him trying to get to him before he gets the road and right about the time he gets in the road she also gets him but a truck comes and plows them over in the dream and she woke up and she told me and we knew we got to get we got to get back on the wagon. We had let some things slide. You guys see how important it is for your kids to obey immediately? Immediately. I was at Best Buy a couple of weeks ago. I bought something, came out, and this toddler ran right past me. I was like, hello. And I looked around, and, and I saw the parents. And they're like, Susie Q, come back. Come back. Come back. And she's like, I'm telling you, halfway to Chick-fil-A. Maybe that's what she wanted, some Chick-fil-A, some nuggets. But they're like, come on back, come back. And they're kind of laughing and giggling, and oh, she's so cute, she's so cute. I'm like, this is not cute. You ever been in that parking lot? It's dangerous. And I was starting to sweat. And they just laughed and laughed, and finally she starts walking over to the kid. Oh, I'm going to walk over there. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. And then they're kind of having their own little conversation. Their kid is halfway to Chick-fil-A. Like she's already in the drive through line, you know what I'm saying? I was so frustrated. I had, I had a right mind to go over and say, let me tell you a story. I'm going to tell the story about Cannon. I would have too. I was so frustrated. How foolish. When your kid hears no, they should respond right away. And there are times where it could be the difference between life and death. Now listen, no child is going to perfectly obey right away every time. It's not possible. We don't even do that. Is there anybody here that does it perfectly every time? 
No, Galatians says that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other because we, and we keep doing the things that we do not want to do. Okay. But listen, I'm telling you, every child can be trained to consistently obey right away. I'm trying to help you parents. You want a much easier teenager? Start when they're two or even earlier than that. I'm telling you to obey right away. But you're like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm I'm so tired. I know. I remember when our youngest two boys were around that age, we had started SOMA. I was working four jobs. We were pastoring the church. Melissa had four jobs. Aiden, Cannon, Rowan, and Tony. <laughs> we were always tired. Yeah. We'd come home, and Melissa would just, how was your day? And I'm like, fine. How was your day? <laughs> you know, and I'd sit down and try to give my kids some attention, love on them for a second, and they'd get down on the floor and crawl off and crawling right over there to that power outlet. And I got a choice to make. You know how many times I was just like, let them die. (laughs) Let them die. I get it. But there's, there's, I mean, even the words of Jesus, we have to keep before us. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Another place he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? This is what he expects of us. Matthew 7, 22, he says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will make it into the kingdom of heaven. Just the ones that do the will of my father. Let me ask you, do we want our kids to make it into the kingdom of heaven? Don't we want that? Then we push through the pain. We get up even when we don't want to, when we don't feel like it. If you've let your kid climb to the top rung of the obedience ladder and they call the shots on when or if they obey, you need to get that kid down. Let's keep going. Omnipresent. Present everywhere. Our children believe they don't need boundaries. That's a true story. So number three is train your kids to know no-nos. Train your kids to know No, no. Parents, you've got to stop removing the temptation every time. There may be times where that works. You need to do it because of time or whatever. But as a whole, stop removing the temptation and teach them that some things are just off limits. Kids have boundaries, and that's okay. Melissa and I have lived this. Canon, (laughs) seems like it's always canon. I remember Canon was, I don't know, a toddler is still crawling and he wanted to mess with our fireplace poker kit. You know what I'm talking about? But here's the deal. Cannon was an, an, he wasn't an ordinary toddler. He was extremely strong. He could have taken that poker and killed one of his brothers. You know what I mean? We got to keep that out of his hands. And so he went over there to touch it, but it was a no, no in our house. We don't, we don't want our toddlers, you know, killing our other kids. And so no, no son, no, no. And I'm telling you, he looked back and he's like, he went to touch it again. I can't believe it. He did. No, son. No, no. And you know you got to change your tone, right? You can't be like, no, no, son. (laughs) It can't be the same voice that you use when you're trying to get them to eat their, you know, 
whatever, applesauce. No, 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 no. You can't do that. You got to let them know. No, no. It's a no, no. I need to keep reaching for it. Keep, re keep reaching for it. One time he was like, <laughs> we were like, I can't believe this. So we had to go to the next level. We took his hand and we squeezed it. We put a little pressure. Probably didn't hurt, but he's able to equate no with discomfort. You hear what I'm saying? No. I said no. I'll be squeezing his hand. He's moving his foot. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're defiant, child. So we went to the next level. Daddy said no. So we sat there disciplining that, disciplining that child for an hour. Not even kidding. Finally, he was just like, just crawled off and went and got into some other trouble. You know what I'm saying? It was always something. I'm telling you, listen, parents, it's worth the fight. It's worth the fight because we're teaching them how to fight their flesh. James 1, again, Jesus' brother. <laughs> Can you imagine? Each one is tempted. I was so tempted to just beat Jesus up. So son of God, he was a perfect, you know, sibling rivalry. But each one is tempted. James says each one is tempted when by his own evil desires, he's lured away and enticed. We have that in us. That's why Paul says in Galatians, I say, walk by the spirit so that you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. When we teach our kids to know no-nos, we're teaching them how to not go after what their flesh or heart desires. Listen, just because they want that thing doesn't mean they can have it. Just because they want to go in that room doesn't mean that they can. It's okay for a room to be off limits. Your bedroom, you can make it off limits. That closet, the pantry, make it off limits. It's okay to shut that door and them not go in there. That's okay. They get a little older. They maybe they get into their teenage years and they want to start dating. Doesn't mean that they should. Train your kids to know no-nos. Listen, our kids have got to learn that their desires can't rule them. When do you think that starts? It starts when they're just babies. They're babies? Yes. I'm telling you, six months. How many of you know that six months old, they know. They got that look in their eyes. You know they know. You think this was just a dance move? <laughs> no, they go in for the gusto right there in front of you. You got to deal with it. Just give them a little pressure. No. Train your kids to know that some things are no. Now, now listen. I will say this. Not everything should be a no-no. Not everything has to be a no-no. There should be some yes-yeses, right? When everything is a no-no, then our kids aren't learning how to discern what's right and wrong. There, some things don't need to be off-limit. Don't be one of those parents. Everything's a no-no. I've had seasons of that in my life where everything's a no-no. Don't be that. Our kids need to discern what's right and wrong. They need to learn how to judge what is sin and what is not. Amen. Listen to me. If your child has free reign in your house and can do whatever, whenever they know, no, no, no's, you need to get that kid down. Okay. Let's do one more. Omnibenevolent, perfect goodness. Our children believe they are always right. I want you to listen to me on this fourth one. Okay. Train your child to look you in the eye. Train your child to look you in the eye. When a child won't look an authority figure in the eyes, especially in moments of discipline, it's not good. 
because that kid has a problem with authority. I'm going to say that again. When a child won't look an authority figure in the eyes, especially in moments of discipline, you've got a big problem because that child has a problem with authority. Well, my kid's just shy. And that may be. I get that. I had a shy one. My number three boy was very, very shy. But that's no excuse for disrespect, is it? Does society, culture, uh, I'm sorry, does society cater to personality? Not that I've seen. Society doesn't care if you're an extrovert or introvert. I need you to do your job. I need you to be the man of God you need to be. I need you to be the woman of excellence you need to be. Right? Well, my kid has a disorder. So my, my kid has a, just has a disorder that, okay, and I have empathy for that. I understand. But does that disorder prevent them from having the ability to look you in the eyes? If so, okay, I'll give you that. But 99.9% .9 of the time, that disorder is not the issue. That personality is not the issue. The issue is that that child doesn't want to be told that he or she is wrong. That's the issue. If a kid can look in you in, if a kid can look you in the eye when you're giving them praise for doing something right, then doesn't it stand to reason that that kid should have the ability to look you in the eye in a time of discipline when they've done something wrong? That's basic reasoning skills. Now listen, both of these are forms of love, both of them. Right? It is love to praise your child. It's loving to punish your child. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes each one he accepts as his child. And it's interesting because if a couple of verses before that, look what it says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the Lord of our lives. Where we go, what we do, how we do it depends upon our ability to see and honor him in that place of authority. Parents, you are the role model, role model for that. You are the role model for that, especially in these formative years when they're young and on into their teenagers and in some ways even when they are adults. We were very intentional about our kids looking us in the eyes. And they struggle with it just like any other kids. We would discipline them. And we're talking to them and they're like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. look, son, look at me. And you get down on their level. Don't hoard over them like you're some sort of gorilla, you know. But get down on their level and say, look in my eyes. Listen to me. I told you not to do that. And they'd be like, la, 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 la. And listen to them grab their little chin and if we have to and there were most of the time we did when they were young they'd be like anybody know what I'm talking about but you know how I had a proud moment a few years back there's someone that that visited Soma and they were new they didn't know my kids but they had encountered one of my boys and they came up to me afterwards and said is that is that your son I said, yes, what did he do? <laughs> you know? He said, I just wanted you to know that, that he came up to me and introduced himself. 
And he looked me square in the eyes, shook my hand like a man, and had a full conversation with me. And I was like, yes! <laughs> That's about as proud as you can get. Not only is it about knowing your authority and looking in the eyes of the one who's sowing into your life, whether it's your parents or your, or, or your Lord, it's also about learning how to be normal. Have a conversation. Just have a conversation with someone. Look them in the eye. If you can't do that, something's wrong. Even as adults, look people in the eyes. It's special. Train your child to look you in the eye. My kids aren't perfect in looking me in the eye, but they are consistent. And that's what we're going for. I've gone a little bit long. If you guys want to stand. I've gone a lot a bit long. But this was the last week. I didn't want to drag out the series, get it all in. Listen, you may be here. And you're right in the thick of all of this. And you're taking notes. And uh, you're able to start fresh with this. Maybe you have a newborn or maybe uh, your kids are still young. Start practicing this. You may be a little older and you have teenagers and you're like, oh, man. And they are too high up on that ladder. They are on that pedestal. They have been placed in a place of deity. You've got some work to do. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. You just work on it. Isn't that what repentance means? Oh, that direction is not the best way. I'm going to change and go the opposite way. And you just start doing the opposite thing. Isn't that repentance? If we can do it in our faith and with our relationship with the Lord, we can do it in anything, even parenting. I'm aware that many in this room may even be um, empty nesters and your children are gone. And you don't have that place of authority like that in their life anymore. And you hear on what I'm saying, and there's maybe regret and guilt rising up in you. That's the enemy. That's the enemy. At the end of the day, the Lord is the Lord of your children. Whether you did it right or not, he is always right. And he is a redeemer, and he restores. Amen? And if there's something that you realize you could have done better, Go back and repent to the Lord and begin praying in the opposite spirit of whatever it is you think you didn't do right. And I believe that the Lord still blesses and keeps and makes his face to shine upon us and brings us peace. Amen. In fact, I want to pray that over you. Won't you lift your hands to the Lord as if you were going to receive? I want to pray this ironic blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to invoke your name upon our children. And we ask that in return you would bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.